0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company,
1: supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Introducing WonderSweep from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
1: This is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello Blues and welcome to a special edition of the Toffee Web Podcast prompted by the news that broke on Friday morning that Everton have been referred to an independent commission in relation to the alleged contravention of Premier League profitability and sustainability rules. It comes as something of a shock to Evertonians and by all accounts the club itself and it throws yet more uncertainty over Everton's future. We're in uncharted waters here with no precedent on which to predict a possible outcome. But uh, Paul Trail and I have the best person to help us pick through it all, joining us in Paul the Ask. Uh, Paul shouldn't need much introduction to any blue with an internet connection, really. Uh, He regularly posts about Everton Business Matters on his blog and kindly permits us to publish his articles at Toffeeweb for your consumption and discussion. Uh, he's a member of a three-man podcast of the same name with John Blaine and Roger Armstrong that, of course, deals with the financial side of the club, and he hosts the weekly Talking the Blues podcast with the Costigan brothers. Uh, Paul, a very welcome to your first appearance on the Toffeeweb podcast. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank, thank. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the invite. It's, um, I, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now, so it's... Uh, it's great to get the opportunity oh, to speak you. to um, you people at Toffee Web, and I always enjoy reading the comments fr- from the articles that do appear um, on on your website. So, yeah, it, it's it's good to get the opportunity to talk to you.
1: Excellent. Well, let's just jump into it. Um, I would imagine that the majority of Evertonians and Toffee Web readers, not least those who read your pieces, of course, will be aware of the general situation regarding Everton's finances the expenditure the club undertook in the first few years of Farhad Mashiri's tenure uh, and the fact that the club has racked up significant losses in recent years but uh, just to set the scene and for anyone who needs a primer uh, can you first give us the rationale behind the Premier League's implementation of these profitability and sustainability rules in the first place uh, and then maybe explain uh, the Premier League's specific beef with Everton now and why they've taken the action they have um, in alleging this, this breach of the of the fair play rules
0: sure i th- i think the you know the rationale behind the profitability and sustainability rules is, uh, I think, I think twofold. One, it's a sort of it's almost like a historic piece of um, well, it's not legislation, a historic piece of um, regulation. It came about at a time when UEFA was, were, you know, uh, trying their own version of financial fair play, which was predicated on two things. I think one to stop clubs from getting into debt which um, isn't quite really how the profits and sustainability rules um, work. And secondly, and I I actually think very differently from most people on this, I think that the, well, certainly in terms of the profitability and sustainability rules, um, if we didn't have them, the bigger clubs would be even further apart from us today than than they already are. So I often hear people saying that um, these regulations make it difficult for clubs to compete. Well, yes, it is difficult to compete, but I actually think it would be more difficult to compete if there was a free-for-all. So if the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City could spend whatever they want to spend, or Liverpool, if they had owners that wanted to spend more, it would actually make make those that don't have unlimited resources make, make it much less competitive than it already is. So the idea behind it in terms of the Premier League is that you're limited to the amount that you can lose over any three-year period. And the absolute limit is a figure of £105 million. Now, that's not the figure that appears in the uh, profit and loss account. So when you get the accounts each year, or if you go to a company's house and look at the accounts, um, that's a figure that has certain adjustments attached to it. And we can talk about those adjustments if if you really want to get into the granular detail. But effectively... It looks at things like depreciation. It looks like things at um, women's football, youth's football, and what clubs spend in the community. And, of course, in the case of a club like Everton who are building a stadium, if the if the costs of building the stadium appear in the profit-loss account, then you can take those um, figures out of the calculations. So you end up with a rolling three-year period. And, effectively, as long as your losses are less than £105 million, in any of those three-year periods, then clubs can spend pretty much what they w- want, want to spend. Of course, at the end of the day, if you do spend more than you should spend, it eventually catches up with you. So the idea is that it regulates spending uh, by limiting losses. And you know, f- throughout the period that the profit- profitability and sustainability has been in existence, um, only Manchester City, for slightly different reasons, and now ourselves, have ever been alleged to have, fall, have fallen foul, foul of those rules?
1: Um, just on the uh, on the stadium specifically, yeah. I, I think there's, there's obviously been some discussion that you know costs associated with those ground improvements in construction can be offset against uh, our losses. Um, how will they? How do you think they'll affect the club's finances going forward in terms of the the profitability and suspended sustainability rules? Is, does it change now that the construction's actually underway?
0: Now that we've got planning permission, the actual costs of um, building the stadium don't appear in the profit and loss account. So, effectively, if if we spend I don't know 100 million in one year um, on on the stadium, we'd never quite spend that in one year. But just just as as a figure, it actually appears in the balance sheet as an asset. So it's no longer a cost. It actually appears as an asset, and then. When the construction of the stadium is completed, uh, we will revert back to what happens with every other asset in every other business, that the value of that will be depreciated over the lifetime of the asset. So in the case of the stadium, maybe um, 50 years, maybe 100 years, who, who knows, but it will have no impact. In fact, never has had any impact on the profitability and sustainability rules because even when it, it was an expense as against a capital item, um, you could you, you could uh, take those out of the calculations for profitability and sustainability reasons.
1: Okay, so uh, we've we've obviously had a situation where this time last year, Burnley and Leeds lodged a formal complaint with the Premier League about Everton's finances, and and yet the league assured its member clubs that they were satisfied that Everton were in compliance. It seems. Uh, do you have any insight into what has changed in the interim and why the league have now taken this step of referring Everton to an independent commission um, when Everton have been in constant dialogue with the league? Um, I've, I think've had to have you know, sign off from the league on transfer of business in, in the last 12 months and were seemingly doing what they needed to do now to, to, to be in compliance.
0: I'm, I'm not sure I have much. This might make it a very short podcast. I'm not sure I have much, <laughs> uh, much more insight than what is probably in the, in the public domain. Um, because frankly, I don't. I think very few people outside of the Premier League probably know the the the, the real reason for it. It's right. clear, as you say, a year ago, that on the face of it, Everton appeared to be outside of that 105 million. Uh, loss limit o- over three years. You know, before all the calculations, the losses were around about three hundred and seventy million, and even with the most sort of aggressive form of um, deducting what was allowable, you-, you couldn't get it anywhere near one hundred and five million. So, if you even if you stripped out all of the COVID costs, if you stripped out the depreciation, if you stripped out the um, the reduction in player values which the club applied. Uh, it was still impossible to get anywhere near £105 So it it was very clear to everybody that Everton were effectively operating outside of the rules as they appear in the Premier League handbook. So why were Everton not punished or why were Everton not put in front of an independent commission a a year ago? It's apparent that there was an agreement between the Premier League board and Everton that they would, uh, whilst outside of that 105 million limit, um, they would operate on under effectively what might be called special measures. So, the Premier League would say to Everton, "You can remain compliant if you do the following things." So, first of all, you have to commit to getting to uh, break even. Not, not in a year, maybe maybe over two or three years, you have to get to the point where the club is um, is breaking even. And because you are outside of what we consider to be compliant for, say, the next season or for the next two seasons, um, we will authorise any transfer business that you do. So you can sell whoever you want to sell. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't need Premier League permission for that. But in the event of us wanting to buy a player or in the event of us wanting to extend the contract of an existing player, it's thought that the Premier League said to Everton, uh, and they have the power to do this under Rule E fifteen. For anybody who wants to look it up, um, <laughs> you have to come to us first. So you have to get sign off from us in order to, you know, buy Onana or, or whomever it was. Um, part of the agreement was also that we would dispose of a number of players, and I believe that the agreement was that we would dispose of um, players to the value of a hundred million between before the 30th of June, 2022. Now, obviously, we didn't do that in, in season 21-22. The only player that we sold for any value was Richardson, and that was on the last day of, of the financial year. So it might be the case, and I, I guess we'll get onto this in a few minutes, but it might be the case that the reason why this has come about now is because we didn't meet the obligations that we, we agreed to during 21-22 so we you know had we sold sold uh, say for example dcl and richarlison we would have raised significantly more than 100 million and we would have been probably within the agreement that we'd reach with the premier league but the fact is that we didn't now that doesn't answer the question as to why it's happening now as against why it didn't happen last year I think most people are aware that both Leeds and Burnley were concerned about Everton's position and were uh, wanting to proceed with a legal challenge. Now, that challenge would be to both the club, but it would also be to the Premier League itself because there is an argument that says um, under what authority does the Premier League have to make individual arrangements with individual clubs? Because whilst obviously our concern is whatever arrangement the Premier League might have made with Everton, if nobody knows about that arrangement or nobody knows the details of that arrangement does that mean that they've made other arrangements with other clubs over any any period in the last however many years the uh, profitability and sustainability rules have been in existence so it's it's from a from from a legal perspective it's it's quite an interesting point that the premier league made these arrangements with everton uh, two clubs thought at one stage about presenting a legal challenge Leeds got less interested once their survival was assured, and at the same time, the Premier League were making very strong assurances to Burnley and to other clubs um, that whatever the agreement was, Everton were compliant with, with that agreement. Although I have to say, from from my knowledge, it, it seems that we weren't because we didn't raise a hundred million in player sales.
1: Hmm. It's
2: funny that, isn't it? How um. <laughs> Leeds have lost interest in that. It might, it might turn around the other way around now. If Burnley go up and Leeds go down, <laughs> Burnley <laughs> might over, yeah, Leeds might all of a sudden be interested in that again. Uh, you, you think it, you think it's squarely down to that? Well, not squarely down to that. But you think that's the main, the main reasoning that we simply haven't fulfilled our obligations. Obviously, but none of us are 100 percent in the know. Obviously, but um, is that, is that how you feel about the um, where we've come unstuck with this, just by simply not, not. Completing our side of the agreements once we got ourselves in hot water.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's what I'm told by people who were involved in in the in initial discussions more than more than 12 months ago uh, that we didn't meet those obligations. I think what possibly will have made the Premier League take action now is the threat by those clubs that are in and around the relegation spots at this moment in time. I suspect that they will have made their intentions clear that if everton for example if everton were to escape relegation this year and a leeds or a bournemouth or a southampton you know choo- choose the three that are going to get relegated would all take the same view that burnley and leeds took last year but in, but would actually act on it in, in this case and the view of course is that if everton were not compliant either with the regulations as they stood or if they weren't compliant with the agreement that they had with the Premier League, then they've effectively got a um, a competitive advantage, and if that competitive advantage means that we end up staying in in the Premier League, then you know the, the a, a club or the the clubs that are relegated can turn around and say, well, that competitive advantage was unfair. Therefore, you know, both in terms of our own uh, financial interests, but also I suspect in the interests of uh, sporting integrity, you know, we have to take action against this. So it might be, and I suspect it is, that the Premier League are sort of taking a preemptive um, action here in the event. So in the event that Everton do stay up and obviously three clubs get relegated, they can turn around and say, well, there's a, there's an internal process going on here. Let's see what the internal progress uh, process finds. And you know, Everton will be if found guilty. Would then be punished accordingly.
1: The massive irony is that uh, in appointing Rafael Benitez and uh, failing completely to sign anyone capable of putting the ball on the back of the net on a regular basis, I think Everton have been doing their own job of uh, of uh, destroying yeah. their competitive advantage over this period.
0: <laughs> I mean, that is the massive irony, isn't it? Sorry. Um, the- yeah. If we've taken a a sort of competitive or a financial advantage over the rest of the league, we've spectacularly failed uh, to see it through in yeah. action and decisions that have been made. Mm.
1: Yeah, because I mean, we did you know we did cut our cloth accordingly in that that summer that leads into this that's part of this this period this this twenty one to twenty two uh, financial period that the Premier League have cited as the you know as as the as the issue. I think you we know, we we spend what 1.7 million in total over that summer. Um, so, yeah.
2: You probably saw that article, Paul, in the Daily Mail, and um, that that one suggests like the obviously in, <laughs> you're always a little bit cynical when it says a source <laughs> says this, and it says that in a, a, a Premier League owner source or something like that it says a lot of the other clubs in the Premier League were surprised by uh, by this. Um, by what's happened to Everton this, because they felt from that, from their understanding, was that Everton were were doing all things the right way. Um, I guess the cynical nature of a lot of Evertonians is that are the Premier League playing a, polit- a political game ahead of um have they got like an independent uh, independent regula- regulatory body to um to answer to quite soon um I forget the fellow's name who's uh, who's involved in that, but they've got something coming up pretty soon, and the suggestion was that there's um that they're playing a bit of a political game due to that. do you think there's anything in that at all
0: It's interesting because th- there's a um a select commi- select committee meeting uh this week in the houses of parliament. Um, and for, for those yeah. outside of the UK, that's a, a a group of MPs from across all different parties who are um, actually this is the DCMS, so it, it involves um, digital, cultural, um, I forgot what the M stands for, and sport. Um, this, so this this is the body within Parliament that uh, looks at. Obviously, sport in this case, and of course, they're the people who behind who from whom Tracy Crouch set up this independent, or set up rather, this fan review. And one of the recommendations of the fan review was uh, an independent regulator uh, in English football, and obviously the Premier League, who who operate both as the promoter, the operator, but also the regulator of English football, of of Premier League football, at least. They're very, very keen to maintain control of the regulatory aspect of it. And they're very keen for there not to be a very strong uh, independent regulator. Politicians, on the other hand, and most football fans, I would think, um, want the exact opposite. They do want an independent regulator, a regulator backed by legislation and a regulator with real teeth that can perhaps do uh, real-time financial uh, report so clubs would, perhaps might have to do real time, re, real time financial reporting uh, back to the regulator. I actually think that would have benefited Everton hugely had it been in place, say three or four years ago, because we wouldn't yeah. actually be in the mess that we're in in now. But that's, I, I suppose, that's a, a different discussion. Um, but as a result, first of all, of this meeting, I think it's on Tuesday, where Richard Masters, who is the uh, CEO of the Premier League. He he is in front of the DCMS uh, select committee, and it you know there is a line of thought as Matt Hughes said in the Daily Mail that this the timing of this it, it coincides with that meeting, so he can go into the meeting and say like you know we're being strong here. There's a huge action against Manchester City based on um, historic problems that they believe uh, they have, but there's also now this action on Ever- against Everton whereby we're alleging a breach of our regulations and through our own uh, regulatory and disciplinary process we're now dealing with that through the, through an an independent commission and i think the fact that the commission is independent will be a, a strong part of their argument where they say we don't need an independent regulator because we've got a, an independent commission that will look at issues where, where we think there's a potential breach or an alleged breach and I think that I think that no doubt has formed part of the, um, not necessarily the, the decision making, but part of the timing of of the decision to go to or to put Everton in front of an independent commission.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of noise from Evertonians feel on like the uh, Everton are being picked on a little bit. Like, uh, and obviously there's, <laughs> there's it's easy to reference load of examples, like sort of like Chelsea's recent spending, the amount of spending Manchester City do, There's things in the past which have happened. Uh, pro um, uh, FFP rules, like let's say like Liverpool, across like getting bailed out by the Bank of America and uh, Man-, uh, Man-, Man City spending. I know that that's different to FFP, obviously. Um, but there's a big sort of like uh, it, it doesn't take much to go onto Twitter or we'll go on to say some of the webber uh, comments, etc. A lot of people have this sort of sense of like, oh, the top six looked after, you know, Everton being picked on a little bit. Do you think there's anything in that Everton being picked on at all?
0: I, I think I think that lets the board off the hook. Uh, that that argument. Yeah, I think fair. you know the, the rules and regulations are there. They're, they're they're plain to see. Whether you think the rules are good or whether you think the regulations are good, whether you think they're effective, whether you think it offers a competitive advantage to the big six, doesn't really matter. The rules are there, and when you sign up for the Premier League as both a shareholder and you know a, a member of the uh, of the Premier League, you sign up to the rules and effectively you know you can you can as a football club you can do what you like as long as you stay within uh, the loss limit so you know if you if you're if your losses are 104 million you can do what you like as long as you stay below that 105 everton's problem is that at no point did the owner or did any anybody on the board or did any any of the previous managers or pre, previous directors of football say hang on a minute if we continue to spend in this manner without getting better performance on the pitch, we've got major financial problems ahead. Not because perhaps machinery can't afford to do it, but from a regulatory point of view, if we continue to spend, we don't get European football, we don't manage to develop enough players in the academy to sell, to make profits, etc. If all of these things happen, worst-case scenario, and unfortunately it has turned out to be an almost worst-case scenario, we're going to have major problems. So, we we plan for a scenario that hasn't happened, or rather, perhaps we didn't plan for a scenario that has happened. And I don't. I don't think there's any. Um, I I, I don't think we can allow the board or we can allow Farhad Mashiri to get away with that. And I think to Evertonians, they have to answer for that. Now, we all know about. The levels of account of accountability that are within the club at this moment in time, that they're, they're zero. Um, but nevertheless, whilst Everton Football Club now have a case to answer to the Premier League or to the Commission, our board and our owner have a case to answer to us, the fans. Because at the end of the day, it's, it is they who have put us in this position, in the full knowledge of what the rules and regulations are. They choose. They chose. Not to comply with those rules and regulations. So I understand why people say it's people are picking on Everton because we might be appear to be a weak target. Um, And this is difficult for Evertonians to hear, I know, but we've brought it among, we've brought it upon ourselves. We've brought it upon ourselves by our own actions. And people can say, well, we had this agreement. And okay, if we had the agreement and if we have, uh, met the terms of, of that agreement, and, and I'm not sure that we have. And then things have changed. Well, then perhaps there's an argument for saying, hang on a minute, things have changed, that's not fair, blah, blah, blah. But it still goes back to the point that if we'd stayed within the rules, we wouldn't have to have this arrangement. So I, I don't have a huge amount of sympathy with the view that we are um, we're being picked on. I, we are where we are because of our own actions.
1: I mean, I think the fact that our our losses... And the the losses that we were trying to attribute to to COVID were so far out of line with the rest of the Premier League that I agree. I, I don't think uh, I don't think we are being singled out um, through some kind of persecution. I mean, and, and I do agree that had the the um, had there been in the regulation earlier, uh, particularly on the Premier League, then I think I agree with you, Paul. It would have would have benefited Everton and and kept <laughs> it kept Fahad Masri and and. Uh, the board in line. I, I obviously the frustration comes from the fact that we're looking at these big six clubs who obviously have far greater resources and are far more easily able to um to find loopholes like, you know, just for example, Chelsea using ridiculously long contracts to to spread, you know, payments for players out over long periods of time and then skirting the rules that way. Um, I think that is why an independent regulator of the Premier League in general uh, both for that and obviously the, the, this, this increasing number of sovereign wealth funds with effectively unlimited funds um, is, is really warping the uh, warping the, the, the fabric of the game and, and really Everton's transgressions are actually small beer in, in comparison. But I suppose the Premier League would argue that right now by the letter of the law, Everton are in uh, contravention of the rules.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah Lyndon, I think the other thing that um, we've got to consider about the Premier League as against the EFL, for example, where if you br- break certain financial regulations, the penalties are very clear. So you know if you go into administration, it's nine points. If there's a second administration, it's twelve points, and you know th- there's a right. um, there's a tariff for whatever offences you may or may not have have committed. the 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 one big issue, well, one of the big issues for Everton. Is of course that the, the independent commission has um, carte blanche; it can literally make up whatever penalty it wishes to make, um, and there's very little uh, re- redress for Everton. So, in the event of the commission finding against Everton and then you know putting some ridiculous um, penalty against us, we have the right to appeal, but we can only appeal back to the commission now that commission could change in terms of the personnel and most probably would obviously cause no point in going back to the same three people um, right but once that commission has heard the had the appeal and assuming that the process is um is right and consistent with what you know whatever the process is written down um, there's nowhere else to go we have to accept whatever the commission says at, at the second stage and you know the what penalties are are available but it is either one of or a combination of uh, financial penalties, which seemed counterproductive because you know <laughs> if we're trying to sort out everything's <laughs> finances, why why would you find somebody? Um, there is the possibility of a transfer ban, um, but we've sort of been in that territory. That was that was almost like part of part of part of, part of the agreement that we've had, albeit not quite a, a ban. But it, you know we, we could only do transfers with. The Premier League's um, permission. Or finally, actually, there's, two, there's, there's, there's another one as well. There's uh, points deductions, but we don't know what they would be. So some form of sporting um, sanction. And ultimately, uh, although I don't think that it will happen in this case, is um, the ability to ex- expel the club from the Premier League. So all of those options are open to the commission. Um, I have to say, I don't think it will be um, the latter one, but it could be any one of the of the first three. Now, it's not going to happen this season. The, the, the one redeeming fact in, in all of this is that there's no way that the Commission can get together, hear the evidence, make a decision, pass on the penalty, inform Everton. Everton either agree or disagree. One would assume that if it went against them, that they would disagree and they would ask for... Um, effectively a second hearing, there's no way that can happen between now and the end of this season. So the impact uh, on the club this season, is there will be no impact other than, I guess, an an emotional one. Um, Whatever happens will be decided in the summer at the earliest and would apply um, whatever the penalty was if we were guilty or found guilty, would apply next season.
2: And do you have any inclination as to which is the most likely, or is that just totally impossible well, to say? For, for the reasons
0: are... I just gave, I think it, I think it would be a penalty, a, a points penalty of some form. Mm. Um,
2: right,
0: but as to what that would be, who knows? I think you've got to take in, look at it from the perspective of if administration is worth nine points in the EFL, then it'd be very unlikely that a breach of profitability and sustainability regulations is is more onerous than uh, administration so i think you have to work from 9 downwards i'm not saying it should be 9 either i'm just i'm just saying it, it can't mm. can't realistically um and fairly be more than that
1: well the numbers like twelve and twenty popped into my head immediately. So nine is <laughs> nine is an advance on that. And, and I mean, in in you know, yeah. sort of all joking aside, nine is actually a uh, not this season, obviously, but nine is a, is a manageable number.
0: Yeah, as I say, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it will be nine. I'm just saying that seems to me like the natural limit that it could be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Having said that, there's no impact on Everton uh, this season. There's no impact in terms of the decision that the commission can make but there is quite a significant impact on all the stuff that's going on off the pitch in terms of ownership in terms of raising money um, for you know for for the club it's clear for a long time that the club has been funded predominantly by Farhad Mashiri. okay there's some external debt and there's obviously some sponsorship revenue uh, that we raise over and above the broadcast revenue and, and the gate money but predominantly the funding of the stadium and the funding of the difference between what we've spent on players wages etc uh, operating costs and what we brought in through the gate has all been met by fired and Shiri. and it's also clear that um probably from the end of last year he took the view that he no longer wished to be the person that signed the checks so he needed to bring either sell the club which was what he looked at last summer or he needed to find somebody to come in put a lump of money into the club, 100 million perhaps or more, which would relieve the burden on him. And that process, the the second process, the one of finding a minority investor, has been going on now um, part, part of the way through last year, but certainly much more seriously in the first three months of this year. You know, We're nearly at the end of the first quarter, at the end of March. Um, and obviously there was hope that somebody like MSP might come in, Um, although it became apparent a couple of weeks ago that MSP were no longer interested. There are other people who are still interested, but that was before the news of the um, referral to the commission came in on Friday, and that must effectively stop dead any idea that somebody's going to put money into the club at this moment in time, because notwithstanding all the difficulties that Everton faced before Friday, this is a whole new level of uncertainty, and it's something that's completely outside of the control of the directors and completely outside of the control of Fired Machiri. So, no investor, or very, very few investors, would ever countenance putting money into, into a club in the position that we're currently in. So, that means that until such a time as uh, a decision is made by the, by the commission and a decision is accepted by Everton and by the Premier League. Um, five Shiri is not going to get a third-party investor into the club. So whatever payments need to be made, both in terms of normal operating stuff, although I think we're probably just about break even now uh, at an operational level and with player trading. So whatever money is needed coming into the summer to continue the work at uh, Bramley Moore now can only really come from one. Well, it can come from two sources. It can come from fired machinery putting more money in, or it can come from further player sales. I mean, that's ultimately the, you know, the other thing that we can do, we can sell. Um, we haven't got many players left of, you know, the value that would uh, s- satisfy or, or, or would be profitable for us. Pickford is, is the obvious one, I guess. Um, but we could do that, so in a scenario whereby we need money in the summer uh, to pay for the stadium, fired machinery either can't or won't put more money in, then it, we'd have to revert back to selling players.
2: And certainly am um, certainly burning out assets to
0: sell. Yeah, so you know this independent commission uh, and the decision to refer to it does have a significant and material impact on our ability to raise money in the intervening months between now and whenever the decision is made?
2: Well, at best, it worsens Mishiri's bargaining can, doesn't it, of what he can sell for and also gives any sort of buyer the opportunity to undercut us more so, perhaps. Obviously, I don't know how quite how these things work at the top level, but, you know, it certainly puts us in the best-case scenario is we're in a much worse position when it comes to making them negotiations. That's the very best we're in. <laughs> so it's obviously a very... Um, makes that very, very difficult, uh, difficult conversation now for far out of Well,
0: you can imagine the discussion, Paul, with any, any investor or any potential uh, lender, it would be, okay, we've lost a load of money in the recent years, you know, the accounts are in front of you, our projections are there for next year, we might still lose a little bit of money, we might sort of break even, um, but we've got a great relationship with the Premier League, you know, we've got an agreement with the Premier League that says, as long as we do this, this and this, uh, we don't have any problems from a regulatory point of view oh, actually, we now have a problem from a regulatory point of view. So you're absolutely right in saying that, you know, whatever position Meshiri had with potential investors has been weakened significantly in the last 48 hours or so.
1: so this is um, another one of those, those unknowables, but perhaps with your experience in, in corporate affairs, you might have a, a, a sort of a sense, is this likely to be a... A black and white consideration by the commission on, on just on the raw numbers, or do you think they'll take into account, you know, the austerity measures that Everton have undertaken over the past year and the fact that they are on their way to being compliant?
0: Um, given that the alleged breach happened in twenty one twenty two, they can only really consider what happened in twenty one twenty two. I mean, right. Everton's okay. Everton's council will say, you know. In, in terms of mitigation, these are the reasons why we did what we did in 21-22. And, oh, by the way, these are the things that we're now doing in 22-23. And the commission might or might not take into account you know, uh, the good behaviour of the accused. Um, but really, it, 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 if they chose for it not to be relevant, it's not relevant. You know, We're looking at what, ha- what whatever it was that happened in 21-22.
1: Okay, so the uh, Everton is set to publish their uh, the accounts uh, next week. What do you expect them to show?
0: I've I've been revising them uh, as it, as it's gone along. Really, before Christmas, I thought it was going to be near, closer to eighty million losses. Then I sort of rejigged the figures a bit, got it down to about seventy. And I've been looking again, thinking about who we've sold, what you know, what what's happened in terms of. Uh, Transfers looking at amortization costs, how much they've reduced. Um, and I think, although I obviously don't know, I think the figure now is going to come in with a loss of around about 50 million pounds for 21-22. And that includes the sale of Rich uh on the last day of the financial year. And then I think going into this year with the sale of uh, Anthony Gordon and with the sale of um, Moise Keane. We're likely to um, make a small profit, all things being equal. Of course, we don't know what we're going to do yet uh, in in the period up to the 30th of June, but I would imagine that we're going to break even. And, you know, the club has been... I'm, I am a, obviously a big critic of the board and a big critic of Fad machinery, but the club have consistently in the last two stroke three years reduced the wage bill and they're now reducing um, the amortisation costs Partly through natural wastage, but also by virtue of the fact that uh, in the two COVID years, in particular, they wrote down the values of existing player contracts. So that has helped the, 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 the profitability figure or the profit and loss figure, loss figure in the main um, in in the last couple of years. Uh, but so yeah, I think 50 million for last year and break even, possibly a small profit this year. So, you know, our our, um, profitability and sustainability uh, overall picture is improving rapidly because, again, you know, at the end of this year going into next year, a very big figure drops off from from the back end of the three-year calculations. Um, So we will look a lot better next year. But, of course, as I said a few minutes ago, that's not the issue here. The issue is what what we looked like at the end of last year.
1: Uh, finally, Paul, uh, you've been a prominent supporter and a member of the NS Now campaign. Uh, this can only give greater justification for the protests against the board. Uh, does the campaign have any specific action planned, or is it simply more of the same, but possibly with even greater numbers of Evertonians now joining the movement on the back of this and, and joining these pre-match protests?
0: It's interesting. I, I was concerned that, uh, that there was a slight sort of drop off in, in um, momentum in terms of you know the fan campaigns, not just NS now, but you know all of the sort of umbrella all together now, um, obviously delighted to see performance on the pitch improving and the prospect mm-hmm. of relegation uh, uh, reducing. but at the same time, that then naturally sort of lends itself towards fewer people being actively involved in campaigning against the board. Um, I suppose not that I wanted this to happen. Not that any Evertonian would have wanted what happened on Friday to happen, um, but this does give again um, even further evidence, further weight of evidence to the idea that this board and this owner are not fit to run our football club or to own our football club. In the case of Farid Mashiri. And, and we have to continue to get that message across. You know the the behaviour of the board since what happened in January is it's reprehensible. It, it, there is no uh, there's no justification for it. Okay, they, you know, they had their moments with the Southampton game where I think they were very badly advised, uh, both in terms of the initial decision not to be there at the cl- at the game, but also then obviously in in, in briefing about uh, the headlock incident. They had an opportunity after that uh, to come out and to say, "Perhaps we have got some of this wrong." Um or perhaps these are the reasons why we did what we did, but now we've got to get on with seeing the club through to the end of the season, doing everything that we can do to ensure that we're not relegated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They chose not to do either any of those things. They chose, as as you know, and everybody that listens to this podcast, um, to effectively disappear, to effectively create a, an enormous power vacuum at the top of the club, um, and that can't be tolerated. So. You know, what happened Friday again is just further evidence of of their unsuitability, albeit reflected in what happened twelve months ago or more. Um, but you know their current behaviour means that I, I, I implore, and it's not easy for it's not easy to uh, campaign against an organisation that you love. You know, fo- football club is about uh, should be about a positive experience, should be about supporting the club, supporting the team and the individuals. I get that it's not easy to. Um, in effect, do the reverse, albeit obviously not for the team. But it has to be done. The fired Mishiri, and the decision lies with him, has to recognise the unsuitability of his current board and do something about it. And the only thing that fans can do in those circumstances is protest, is to get stuff into the media, is to talk on podcasts like this, uh, is to you know get on radio shows, get on uh, national broadcasters, international broadcasters, and and make our feelings um, widely known. I I think Evertonians are are remarkably uh, well-behaved over things like this. If you look across Europe, and if you look at, you know, had similar situations, and I, I know it's a cultural thing, obviously, but had similar circumstances occurred in Italy or Spain or France, perhaps, the fan reaction would have been extremely different. Now, it's possibly to Evertonians' credit that the fan reaction is as what it is, but that doesn't mean that Machiri and uh, shouldn't know how Evertonians feel and shouldn't know the absolute requirement to make the changes that we're asking for.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Actually, one other question um, that I didn't ask earlier was, again, another one of these ones that you can't possibly know, but given that this isn't as complicated a case as the Manchester City one, which has obviously got many facets to it, uh, what do you think the timeline of this will be, um, given that it's a fairly kind of black and white um, decision?
0: Um uh, Three months, if it, if it was a an uncontested decision. So three months, if whatever decision or whatever the commission found was agreed by all parties, perhaps three months. But then, one assumes that either the Premier League are not going to agree with the decision, or Everton are not going to agree with the, the decision whenever it comes. Um, and then you're into you know redoing the whole process and possibly bringing in new evidence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that would make a you know a minimum one would guess of, of six of six months if, if that if that was mm. the case, um, but I would expect, and I think it has to be the case that, um, whilst it's not going to be before the end of this season, it, whatever decision is made and whatever penalties are applied, it has to be done very very early in the summer in order to, both for Everton and for the Premier League, to prepare for the consequences of that we can't leave it until like you know, the first day before the before the beginning of next season to decide that Everton have got a 9 point or 6 point or a 5 point whatever it might be deduction um that has to be done in the interest of fairness and sporting integrity as quickly as possible
2: i was saying that um that's going to take three months um, and it can't possibly be done before the end of the season. That's two months away. Is there no way it could be done within two months? Um, I'm just wondering, could could the season still be a factor, or are we are we are we completely ruling that out? That it's it's um, not possible to get all this uh all this finalized before the end of the season. I think
0: I think it's impossible to do it in a, in that period of time. Right. And let's think about it. The last thing that Everton wanted is a decision before the end of May. So Everton are yeah, going to exactly. slow the process down <laughs> yeah. as much as they possibly can. You know, this is uh, this is where we need Jordan Pickford to do, help us out with a bit of time wasting. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's not, it's not going to happen in that period. But there is one other little point, Linda, and it's it's a it's a slightly minor point, but I think it's indicative of the way the club's being run. The fact that the accounts are now going to come out in the in the week after. You know, an allegation, a claim that we've uh, not complied with the regulations, uh, just to me demonstrates the folly of of leaving, bringing the accounts out to the last available moment. Because we're now in a very defensive position. We're now in a position whereby uh, the whole of the Premier League are going to want to know what our our figures look like. There's There's going to be far more scrutiny from third parties of what's in the accounts. Than there would have been had we brought them out in November, say, or perhaps we couldn't have brought them out in November because there were issues were over who who the orders were going to be. But you know, my understanding is that the accounts were prepared and signed off in January. Why why they went released in January? You know, when frankly nobody, only people like me, would, would probably be interested in them. Um, it it just seems odd to me, and again, it's just indicative of what i think is uh, poor governance and poor corporate practice there's no logical reason for leaving the council to the last day of um you know the legislative or or, or rather the the period that we can it, it just just seems just seems odd to me <laughs> i could could say something stronger but I'm, I'm, i'll i'll leave it at that <laughs>
1: Well, it's usually not for good reasons, is it? I mean, let's face it.
0: But it, it's like you know, it's like anything else in life, isn't it? You know, if if, if there's a problem, if there's bad news to give it a third party, be it, you know, in terms of like personal relationships, work relationships, anything, it's always better dealt with in the very first yeah. instance. So get it out, yeah. you know, whatever it is, get it out there, and that, then it, that builds trust. The problem you have when you like delay everything. It actually destroys trust, even if there's no reason for, uh, you know, for that trust to be destroyed, other than the fact that they've delayed it to the last possible moment. Because it just asks, it just, you know, leaves questions unanswered. People like me can speculate as to the reasons why or what might be in the accounts and stuff. All of that could have been kicked out by just as soon as the accounts were ready, publishing them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul, we want to thank you for taking the time to come on and give us your insight and the benefit of your knowledge around Everton's business matters. Uh, we'll wait and see if and when we get an indication of when the makeup of this independent commission will be finalized and the possible timeline for their deliberations. In the meantime, matters on the pitch will continue as usual starting next Monday when Everton welcomes Spurs to Goodison Park. Uh, Paul T and I will be back with the usual crew later in the week to look ahead to that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening, Blues. Keep the faith and up the toppings i